Moving on. So today we're going to read from uh, verse 7 all the way down to 17. Uh, But before we do that, I want to just kind of remind you of a few things that we talked about before in 1 John chapter 1, uh, beginning of chapter 2, just to kind of set up what we're about to read. Uh, John has a couple of purpose statements that he tells us as we read through his book, like why is he writing this book? And if you look at chapter 1, verse 4, we are given one of those statements, and this is going to kind of be what we're going to try to focus in on today as well. So we're going to look at chapter 2 in light of this purpose. And he says in 1 John 1, chapter 4, he says, We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. All right, so one of the reasons John is writing this is so that we may have joy. Okay, we may have joy. And we all know that joy is a little bit different than happiness, right? You can be happy and joyful at the same time, and you can be sad and joyful at the same time. Happiness is that momentary kind of pleasure, you know, woohoo, yay, that donut was delicious this morning, that kind of thing, right? But joy is that soul fulfillment that you can be joyful, you can be satisfied, you can be content with no matter what situation you're in in life, you just have this soul um, well, joy, right? And you just have this, this um, anyway, yeah, I did a great job explaining that, didn't I? Good job. All right, moving on. Anyway, we know the difference between joy and happiness. So what we're going to talk about today is we're going to talk about joy, how to have joy, and it's a couple of things that John is going to tell us. So we're going to read, starting in verse 7, we're going to go all the way through verse 17. So I'm going to read the whole chunk, and then we're going to go back and look at it verse by verse. So this is 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 7. Behold, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says... He is in the light and hates his brother, is still in darkness. But whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going, because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I'm writing to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. 
Let's take one more second in prayer, and then we'll dive in to the scriptures. Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes to see your word, open our hearts to receive your truth. Uh, We pray that you would bless your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so what we're going to do is we're going to split this up into um, three portions. We're going to talk about the love of the world, what is it, and what does it look like, and then we're going to talk about the love of God, what does it look like in contrast to this love of the world. So we're actually going to start with verse 15 through 17 first. We're going to take, that kind of tells us what is the love of the world. And we'll go back up to verse 9 through 11, and that kind of describes it for us. What does it look like? And then the uh, middle chunk there, 12 through 14, kind of describes to us the love of God. So that's kind of what we're looking at our, our, uh, our flow this time, our little pattern here. We're looking at the love of the world. Then what does the love of the world look like? All right, we're going to kind of apply it here. What does it look like in spiritually, physically, that kind of thing? And then we'll look at um, what does the love of God look like? So first of all, let's start with the love of the world, verse uh, 15 through 17. So notice right off the bat, okay, in verse 7 and verse 8, he talks about this commandment. Right? He talks about, I'm not writing to you a new commandment. This is actually an old commandment. And so he kind of restates in verse 15, restates this commandment, kind of in different words. But he says, don't love the world. Right? And if you were here on Sunday nights, when the past eight weeks or so, we did, a, we did a study on the Ten Commandments. And we know that if you summarize the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments summarize in this way, love God and love your neighbor. Right? So the opposite of loving God, loving your neighbor, would be love of the world, or we'll see this in a minute, love of self, right? Rather than love God, you love self. Those two would be opposites. And so this is exactly what John is saying here in verse 15. Do not love the world or the things of the world, all right? This is a commandment to all believers. Do not love the world. You're not of this world. Don't love it. Don't love the things of this world. And he gives us two reasons. Why should we not love the world? Well, first of all, second half of verse 15 says, If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. All right, this is very similar to what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters, right? You either love one and hate the other, or you hate the one and love the other. Right? Jesus gives us this either-or statement. Okay? Sometimes in life, you might, have, you, know, you might come across some either-or statement that somebody uses as kind of like a persuasion technique, uh, but most of the time, that can be used as a, as a logical fallacy. Right? You give a person this, um, a, well, let's just give you an example. Let's say I give my children a statement. You can either have macaroni and cheese or you can have peanut butter and jelly, right? Two options, either that or that. And then my daughter goes, can I have a cheese stick? (laughs) Yeah, sure. Okay, here you go. There you go. All right, what did she do? 
She took the two options and she presented a third option. And so there blows my argument, right? My either or statement. There was a third option I was willing to do. So it wasn't these two only, there was an existing third. And so you'll see this throughout, oh, throughout any kind of, people will try to persuade you. Like if you um, act now or, you know, you will miss out on this forever. You'll never see this deal again, you know, at buy now or, you know, this will happen. And you, you're never given that third option, right? You're never given that, yeah, I'll just wait. It'll come around again. Yeah, yeah. You're never given that. It's always this act here, act now. When Jesus, however, gives us an either-or statement, presents us with two options, we can take that to the bank that there are only two options. Either you love one and hate the other, or you hate the one and love the other. You cannot serve two masters. And this is exactly what John says. If you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. You cannot love the world and love God at the same time. We can't do it. The two are mutually exclusive. If you love God, you're not going to love the world. If you love the world, you can't love God, right? And he's just echoing exactly what Jesus says. So that's reason number one. Why are we to love, not love the world? Well, one, you can't love God at the same time. The reason number one. Reason number two, why should we not love the world this is in verse 17, the first half. John says in verse 17, And the world is passing away along with its desires. The world is passing away along with its desires. If you love the world, guess what's going to happen to all these things in the world that you love? They pass away. They're out of here. They're temporary, right? You are devoting yourself right? Love, you are giving yourself up for something in this world that's going to pass away, that's just going to disappear. And notice that not only the stuff, but he says the desires will pass away too. The desires pass away. That means you'll never really get that fulfillment. You'll never feel that desire. Those things will pass away. This world is temporary. So don't love the world, one, because you can't love God, and two, it's just going to pass away. It's gone. There's no reason to. It's temporary. It is a temporary happiness, but it's not lasting joy, right? The love of the world. So how does John describe this love of the world? How does he describe it? In three areas. And this is summarized for us in uh, verse 16, okay? Verse 16, uh, what is worldly love? He gives us three things that kind of summarize all, you could say, love of the world. Yeah, or we could even just say all sin. What does he say? Verse 16 says, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. All that is in the world. Desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. So desire of the flesh, for example, uh, would be, we'll just use food, right? Because I know food pretty well, so I'm going to use food examples, all right? And we come to the, uh, we come into church and there's delicious donuts there for the kiddos, and I walk by, ooh, donut, you know? Because what am I desiring? I'm desiring my flesh 
is desiring that input, that sugar, that, ooh, deliciousness, the food incoming. It is good. I'm desiring, my flesh is desiring that. And not only that, I see that donut, right? And you see that beautiful glistening glaze on top, you know, the, just the right shine of sugar on it. And it's like, ooh, man, they make it look so pretty. Or, uh, I mean, you think about, I think about like uh, fast food restaurant commercials, you know? Have you ever seen those little pictures of commercial hamburger versus real hamburger? <laughs> you know, what does the commercial look like? Everything is, is juicy, is large, everything is nicely stacked on top, and you can see every little layer. And then you get to the burger place and you order it, and it's all just this, it's, everything's covered in a bun, and you can't tell, you know, whatever. It's all squished together and they're melted. It doesn't look appetizing at all. So what is the commercial trying to do? The commercial's trying to... Ooh, desire of the eyes, desire of the eyes, desire of the eyes, right? And then you think about not just food, move beyond that. Like, what all do we see on these devices, on these screens, right? These things people are designing. We talked about this not too long ago, the digital warfare, right? People are designing apps, designing screens, designing photos, designing ads to capture your attention to ignite that desire of the eyes, the desire of the flesh, to trap you in that. And I mean, that's exactly what they're trying to do. Um, so if it, think about the donut, if it feels good, then it has to be good, right? This is desire of the flesh, okay? That's, that's false, but I'm just saying, as, as we would think worldly, okay? If it feels good, then it is good. What about the desire of the eyes? If it looks good, then it has to be good, right? And then the last one would be the pride of life. The pride of life. So this, uh, sticking with the donut example, this would be me going back there, grabbing all the donuts and running out, right? And leaving none for the kiddos. You know, that's my pride. This is me. You know, you're, taking, you're stealing from children, even if it's donuts, whatever. You know, that's pride of life. There you go. That's what it would be. If I want it, I can have it. That's what I'm thinking, right? That's what I'm thinking. Or two, you know, kid and me going for the same donut at once. <laughs> that's mine, little kiddo. Get out of here, right? That kind of stuff. Pride of life. Now, how long has this been going on? This pride of the, uh, pride of the flesh, or excuse me, desire of flesh, desire of eyes, pride of life. How long has this been going on? Yeah. Turn to Genesis chapter 3 really quickly. We're going to read one verse. Genesis chapter 3. We read this last week, and I started to get frustrated with Brother Bryce. He didn't know what I was preaching on, but he started hitting all these points that I wanted to cover today. And I was like, quit preaching my sermon. Anyway. Chapter 3, verse 6. Okay, think about this, desire of flesh, desire of eyes, pride of life, okay, as we read verse 6. Genesis 3, verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took its, of its fruit and ate and also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Now, if you know anything, John 
about Scripture anyways, John was written way after Genesis, right? Right? Right. Genesis beginning, John way after Jesus was born, but notice this has been happening. What did, how did it describe Eve's temptation? Desire for food, a delight to the eyes, and then she wanted it to make herself wise. Desire of the flesh, desire of the eyes, pride of life, right? She wanted to be wise for herself. She wanted to be uh, Adam too, just standing there, not doing anything about it. Anyway, so this has been happening for a long time, really long time. So let's summarize really quickly. Love of the world, if we look at Eve, we look at Adam, we look at our own desires, desires of flesh, eyes, pride of life. The love of the world is loving yourself rather than loving God, right? Loving yourself rather than loving God. You look at something and you say, I want that for me, right? I want that for me. So, what the lie of the world is, and this is what Satan told Eve, right? The lie of the world is that the joy comes from self-love rather than God-love. The lie of the world says you can find joy in loving yourself, right? But this is not what John is saying. John is saying desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, pride of life, all of that is worldly, temporary. You cannot love that and God at the same time. It's gone. So what does this self-love, what does this love of the world look like physically? How does it manifest itself? Go back to uh, verse 9. Verse 9. In 1 John chapter 2, back in 1 John, sorry. Verse 9. How does this self-love, how does this love of the world reflect or manifest itself physically? Look what it says here. Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness, is still in darkness. What is this, this word here? If you're not loving, right? If you're not love, loving, you might as well be, what does he say there? If You might as well be hating your brother, right? Might as well be hatred. It is seen as that. That's the physical manifestation of the self-love. It looks like hatred for other people. If you love yourself so much, it manifests as hatred for others. It's incredible. It says if, um, it kind of goes back to this no middle ground, right? Where you cannot serve two masters. If you love yourself, you hate other people. That make sense? If you say you're in the light, but you hate your brothers, you are not. You are still in darkness. And the contrast, verse 10, we'll get back to the verse 10 in a minute, but whoever loves his brother abides in light, All right? You see that contrast there, hatred versus love, light versus darkness, all this stuff. So this would be, um, let's move on really quickly. What would this look like spiritually, okay? Spiritually, this is where we get into this whole darkness idea, okay? Look at verse 11, verse 11. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness, 
walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. All right, there's four things in here. Hating, hatred of the brothers, or we could say self-love, love of the world, leads to four things. One, you're in darkness, okay, in darkness. Two, you walk in that darkness. You don't know where you're going. And then it says the darkness has blinded you. Okay, so these are spiritual metaphors here, right? A spiritual picture. What does it mean to be in darkness? Well, if you think about what Jesus says about darkness and light, light is the truth, darkness is the lie, right? So to be in darkness would be in the lie, right? If you hate your brothers, if you are not loving your brothers, you are in the lie. You do not know the truth. Your life is based on a lie that lie of self, that I'm the most important thing, right? Walk in darkness, all right? Walking in darkness. Anybody ever done that before? You all walked around in darkness? That's fun, right? That's why God gave you toes to find furniture, right? That that old joke, no? Okay. But walking in darkness. So think about instead of physically walking, think about spiritually walking around in darkness. You have no idea what you're doing. You have no purpose, There's darkness all around you, and you're just going through life dark. No purpose. No idea. You're just so focused on yourself, you can't see anything around you. Nothing. You do not know where you're going. This is the third part. You do not know where you're going. You have no direction in life. No direction. So you just start trying this, and you start trying that, and you start trying this, and you start trying that. I think about uh, Solomon, the King Solomon. Right, King Solomon, when he was living, right, he had basically the whole world was opened up to him and he could do anything he wanted to. And so guess what he did? He did everything he wanted to. Right? He went after this, he went after that, he went after this, he went after that, he went after this and this and this. And he kept going and his whole conclusion at the end of life, grabbing everything he could, trying to find some sort of satisfaction in the life, the end lesson was it's all worthless. Nothing. It doesn't fill any, anything. Right? It doesn't fill anything. All the money in the world, all the women in the world, all the property in the world, all the gold, whatever. It's all worthless. It's vanity. Empty. That's what it's like to walk in darkness, to not know where you're going, and have no purpose. Right? They have no direction. You're just fulfilling desire after desire after desire, and there's no, um, there's no fulfillment. There's no joy. Right? And then the last part says your eyes are blinded. Your eyes are blinded. You're so wrapped up in darkness that you can't see the folly. You can't see the foolishness. You can't see the trap right in front of your feet. Right? We're so wrapped in that darkness, we don't see the cliff right on the edge. We're two steps away, one step away, whatever it is. Can't see it. That means, as Paul puts this, Paul says that God will give you over to your sin, to your lust, to your desires. If you want to desire something other than God, he's going to give you more of that than you can handle, and it's not going to fulfill you. Right? It means you keep continuing, you continue to get worse right? What is one thing? People who love money, 
and spend their whole life getting money, what is one thing they always want more of? Money never fulfills them, right? Always want more, that kind of thing. And we've, we've had that pull on ourselves, right? I could say, use the example back there. A donut lover, what do I want more of? Donuts. Even after I eat one, I'm never satisfied. The, that kind of thing, right? Silly example, right? But leads to that truth. Um, so, what happens when you're blinded? What happens when you are um, filled with this hatred? When you do not love this self-love, this worldly love, what happens? People around you pay the price for your sin, for your selfishness. This is the exact opposite of love. What is love? And God tells us this. Love is giving yourself up for somebody else, right? In this, we know what love is. He gave himself for us, right? So that we could be set free. So love, he says, love as I've loved you. Give yourself up for somebody else. Well, hatred would be the opposite. You give up for me. You sacrifice for me. Right? Who gets, who gets hurt in that scenario? You do. Right? If I'm, hatred, if I'm hating you, I'm expecting you to sacrifice for me. Right? Y'all are the ones that get hurt. Let me see if you've heard any of this before. Or if you've said this in your own mind, I have, I've had, I have, excuse me. Have you ever heard or said anything like this? I'm just not happy anymore. Anybody heard that before? Or I'm going to take some time to focus on me. You all heard that before? What about my desires? What about my needs? Right? How often do we use those as justification for what we do, for our own actions, right? How often do we say that to ourselves just to justify what we're about to do or what we're about to say or what we're about to think? Well, it's, I'm taking care of myself. That's self-love, right? This is exactly what love of the world is. It's loving yourself rather than loving God. And the bad part is, right, the love of the world is selfishness, and it'll hurt anyone to get in the. It'll hurt anyone to get what it wants, right? Selfishness will hurt anyone to get what it wants. That's the hard part. So enough about that. Where's the good news, right? Man, this is terrible. Yeah, it is. It's bad. But there is good news, right? Because guess what? This is where we all once were dead in our sins and trespasses consumed with ourselves, but then God comes in, and what does he say? In First uh, John, back up, we said this a minute ago, um, verse 10, right? Verse 10, whoever loves his brother abides in the light, abides in the light. Notice the way this is phrased. The light has to be there in order for you to love. You have to live in that light for love to come out, Right? The abiding in the light is the reason you, get to, you can love now. So Jesus has to come in and pull you out of that darkness. And then you can see, oh, wow, the lights turn on. This is where Paul is such a great example of this. When he finally saw Jesus, he had to realize how blind he was, 
and he was blind for three days. And I think that was God teaching him, you have been blind your whole life, right? You now see the truth, and I want you to think about that, right? So look at verse 12, 13, and 14. John gives us a couple of stages, so to speak, a couple of uh, what does it look like to abide in this light, okay? And he kind of gives us in these little steps. Talks about children, young men, and then, um, what does he say, fathers, Children, young men, and fathers. And so these are kind of the three stages, you could say, of spiritual growth. All right? This, is just, this applies for everybody, not just children, young men, fathers, but this applies for everyone. And this is the spiritual growth pattern. What does it look like when the light comes in, right? When the light comes into your life, how does the light change you? How does the light change you? So we're going to look at children, young men, fathers. You ready? First of all, he says to children, right, he says each of these twice. He says children, young men, and then fathers. He addresses them twice in these little uh, sayings here. So we're going to break it up and look at the children first. So I write to you, or I'm writing to you children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. And then he says, I'm writing to you children, because you know the Father. Because you know the Father. Is that not the first step? Is that not the first thing that God does for us? Is He reveals Himself to us. And we know Him. Right? Your eyes are open and you can actually see that there's somebody greater than yourself out there. You realize you are not the center of the world. Somebody else is. He reveals Himself to you and washes your sins away. I'm writing to you, children, because your sins are forgiven. Whoa. All of a sudden, we have a new start, right? We know now there's somebody greater than us. Everything in the past is wiped away. We have a new start. We get to trust in him for a new start, a new beginning. So where do we go from there? Well, we start to grow, right, from children to young, you could say from uh, new birth to young Christian here. Look what he says to the young men. I'm right, I write to you young men because you are strong. I write to you young men because the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Wow. Three things there. You are strong. So the light is growing inside of you. Right? You are trusting in God's plan you're trusting in the Father whom you know now. The Word of God abides in you. You're diving into that Word. You're seeking Him. You're growing in your spiritual um, discernment. You're growing in your knowledge of Scripture. And this knowledge and this trust, what does it lead to? Overcoming the evil one. Now, all of a sudden, because you know the Father, because your sins have been forgiven, you're diving into that Word, when that love of self turns back around and it tries to get you again, you're able to resist. You're able to say, no, I'm not going to do that anymore. I love God, not this world, right? Extinguish those fiery arrows with that shield of faith, right? Think about that that way. So children, you know him. Your sins have been forgiven. Young men, you grow. You seek after God. You're able to resist the pull of selfishness. And then finally, the fathers. Fathers. 
Notice he says the same thing twice. Fathers, I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. You know him who is from the beginning. Now this is a little bit different. At the beginning, when he says the children, he says you know the father. We know someone exists. But now, the older you grow, the stronger you grow spiritually, what do we know about this father? He's been there from the beginning. He's been there from the beginning. One of the, I love um, interactions, I can't remember who, uh, um, Miss Brenda, I hope you don't mind, but I'm going to use you as an example. I just said, have you ever just walked around, just said, how's it going? Everybody does this, right? You walk around, hey, how are you today? You know, and what do you get from the kids? You know, I'm good, all right, you know, they don't know anything better, I'm good, yeah, okay. What do you get from, like, teenagers, young adults, maybe even those with kids? Ugh. <laughs> All right, I'm making it. Woo! You know? And you get a little bit older, maybe um, uh, kids out of the house, you know, that kind of thing. They're just like, oh, yeah, we're cruising now. This is great. You know? Good to go. And then you talk to some of the older, the older more mature, uh, and co- several conversations would have just, how's it going? And they're just like, I'm blessed to be here. I'm just so grateful for everything I have because I know it wasn't me. It was all from him who was there from the beginning. It was all about him to begin with. It's just an incredible perspective as you talk to people, as you see them grow in their spiritual life. And this is what it means when they say, you know him who is from the beginning. You realize that nothing you had was yourself right? Nothing you have is from yourself. It was all him from the beginning. You can look back at your life and you can see scenario after scenario after scenario after scenario where he has put his hand in and guided you and protected you and provided for you. Even in the hard circumstances, something has come, good has come from it. You can see how he has directed your life for your good. And is that not the opposite of blind? Instead of walking around in the darkness, you actually can see the plan of God unfold in your life. You can tell other people, don't worry. Even it's hard now, just wait until later. You're going to see, and it's going to be amazing. Right? You are going to know him who is from the beginning, and it's going to be awesome. You're going to love it. Isn't that not the opposite of blindness? So the love of God that pours in us, the love of God that poured in us, allows us to abide in that light. We get to see through the selfishness because of his light, and we get to see our true purpose, our true plan. We get to love people and love the church the way we should because of that light. And look at verse, um, where did I go? Verse 10. Verse 10 says, whoever loves his brother abides in that light. What's the second half of that? And in him, there is no cause for stumbling. No cause for stumbling. All right, that's all you do in the darkness is you stumble because you can't see anything. But in the light, there is no cause for stumbling. You see the life, you see the world as God sees it. 
as His plan of salvation to redeem you through the blood of Jesus. So finally, look at verse 17. Verse 17, okay? He says, The world is passing away along with its desires. And you ready? John gives us, gives us the clue, gives us the final statement. Obviously, it's not the final, final, but final statement of today. Do you want real joy in your life, right? Do you want something meaningful? Do you want to be in the light or groping around in the darkness? John gives us, an, uh, gives us a way into the light. He says, the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Whoever does the will of God abides forever. You will be in that light forever. Not in this temporary world where you eat too many donuts, you get fat, right? Not that world. We'll be abiding in the light forever with him. And what does Jesus say? This is the will of God. That if you, this is the will of God to believe in him whom he has sent. To believe in Jesus Christ whom God sent to save us to pull us out of darkness and put us into his marvelous light. Let's pray. Lord God, we are grateful for your word. Lord, we know that sometimes it is difficult and sometimes it is very hard to look at ourselves and to see the sin that still resides to combat that selfishness that we still want to hang on to, Lord, that we are at war with inside of ourselves, that battle between flesh and spirit. Lord, but we pray that you would help us to grow in the light. We pray that you would help us to see the Father, to know the Father, to know that our sins are forgiven, to abide in your word, to be strong and courageous, in faith. Lord, help us to overcome the evil one. Lord, and may we all know him who is from the beginning. It is all for you. It's all through you. All things are to you. Lord Jesus, help us to know. Help us to believe, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.